It's Hubaloo. It's another great version of the nonprofit exchange. We're four years into this, Russell. What do you think of that? I think the next six, we're really going to blow the lid off of this. Yeah, thing. we blow the lid off every week. Growing, 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 growing. We have a mild-mannered man here in Lynchburg. He's uh, got a lot under the hood. He's got a little hair there, Russell. He's not quite reached your perfect head status yet. But, uh, <laughs> but um, Scott McCarthy is, is, is a man I met at the Business Alliance here. And we have some mutual friends here. And he's referred me to folks, and I've referred him to folks. And I've determined that he's got some really unique expertise that is applicable for, for these nonprofits that we're talking to, and we try to give them really good, sound business principles because we're actually operating a tax-exempt business with a lot of rules right. for IRS. Right. So welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange, Scott. Thank you. Good to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, and what is it that you say that you do? Yes, so my, my son doesn't believe me, but years ago I had a full head of hair. And so he looks at uh, he looks at this today and says, "No, that's not my future." And uh, it was kind of funny. I found a couple of pictures of uh, of myself in high school where he is today, and uh, I had a nice big thick head of hair just like he has today. And it was it was sad, but I kind of saw the soul sucked right out of his body. And <laughs> so I am trying to trying to help my son recover. Uh, but in the meantime, what I've been doing in my life is uh, is working in the, the corporate world, uh, the nonprofit world, and everywhere in between for the last 20 years or so on organizational development and organizational effectiveness roles. Spent a lot of time um, with individual team and leadership development programs. And I find that there's a nice translation between what we try to do in the for-profit world with our human resources uh, to, to deliver for our customers. And in reality, we do the same thing in the nonprofit world. In fact, what I found is it's even more important on the human development side uh, in the nonprofit world because we tend not to have a whole lot of headcount to work with uh, to get the job done for our, our customers and our, our uh, client base. So I've, I've had a great career, about 20, 25 years in uh, organizational development work. I've had my own company, StyleWise Partners, for the last three years, and I work with for-profit and non-profit organizations. And you work um, regionally or you work nationally? I work, uh, I work nationally. Um, I do a lot of work for StyleWise Partners regionally, but because I've had such a, a fortunate network uh, with General Electric Company and GE Capital and a number of different organizations over my career, um, I get called by other companies out of Richmond, out of Boston, out of um, Colorado, and other locations to, to come help them with organizational development work as well. So my, my work takes me domestically and, and actually in the past internationally as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and you and I have... Similar work, but yeah. you, you do it a little differently in a little different segment. But we, we have a passion for enabling and empowering and encouraging nonprofit leaders. Um, one of our guests a few weeks ago, uh, Romal Toon, says we have a for-profit business, but this one is a for-purpose business. Yes. And I really like that. Yes. And, and so uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, today what I thought we'd, we'd touch on is uh, seeing the fact that, that nonprofits – have to really get the most out of their, their human resources. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about engagement and, and how do you 
help folks in what can be a, a sometimes a, a stressful or a, a resource restricted environment to still come in with their with their passion on fire and uh, and get the most out of everybody um, on a daily basis in the nonprofit world. So I think in employee engagement is uh, is really kind of the, the topic that's on my my mind today. Now. Um we have uh, purposeful organizations and it's important to have purposeful people do purposeful work. Right. Um, that's a good continuity piece. So, um, HR, talk a little bit about HR. A lot of, a lot of charities don't even think about it. You said, you said HR, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I heard that. Yeah. I didn't pass. (laughs) Oh, by the way, Russ, we're, we're having a a coffee. Um, some of my freshly roasted, uh, uh, Espresso beans with a little latte. If we could, we could, we would share it with you, but Absolutely. we can't. <laughs> so it's, well, just don't have too much of it. I don't want you guys to look like a pair of the place. operators before the broadcast ends. That's it. Well, we want to keep it lively. Um, so talk about HR. And um, do you work with HR directors in for-profits and for-purpose organizations? Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, my, my career was, uh, I, I kind of think of, of HR as kind of two legs of a stool, right, or, or two pieces of the pie. There's the, the policies and the procedures and the regulatory side of human resources and what we can and what we can't do and, and, and where we need to make sure that we remain compliant. Um, and then there's the, the human development side of HR, and that's, that's really where I focused in, in my career um, honestly, I just never found my passion around the policies and procedures mm-hmm. and the um, and that that side of of HR. Absolutely, critically important. I think that's something that um, nonprofits really can take advantage of HR leaders in their communities, mm-hmm. where they can gain that expertise. Um, I've worked for for HR leaders in nonprofit healthcare and in for-profit financial services that were absolutely phenomenal and both offered their services continually to nonprofits in the area to help make sure that they were taking care of all the, the crossing of the T's and the dotting of the I's. That's so important. Um, and Russell, in your experience working with a number of nonprofits, uh, is there a gap in competency in this, this area of human resources? Well, you know, talking to people to really find out what they need is important. And it begins with finding out what's in it for them, whether you're asking them to volunteer or serve on your board or you're bringing them to work. What are the motivations? You don't always have a lot of money to work with, so you're going to have to find some of those other motivations, whether it's building their personal network or getting some visibility through something they create or through some growth opportunities. Are there students? Are they padding their resumes? Uh, Are there seniors who are looking for a way to make a difference? So it really boils down to effective relationships and and having people connect with you on that level. Yeah, and and you mentioned the the two sides of HR, and, and I see this more and more, and sometimes they're even dividing the work. There's a person that does culture. You know, how do we is personal growth. It's how do we nurture this, this culture development, which mm-hmm. is my passion. Mm-hmm. And then, then um, on the other side, you've got the legal compliance piece, just yeah. to keep, keep you out of trouble there, right. so, which is very important. Right. And even, and those two really need to work together because we can do culture creation, which empowers, 
the compliance piece, because if people function at a higher level, not only are they more fulfilled personally, but the work is more efficient, more effective. Absolutely. And, and a lot of times it's, you know, I, I really enjoy helping organizations, especially nonprofits, focus on what are the, what are the behaviors that make up that culture, right? What, are, what is our mission and vision? What are we here to do to deliver in the, in the marketplace and in the community? And so what are the key behaviors that we need from our people to deliver on that mission and vision? And where I see that tie coming in is that when, when people are not displaying the right behavior, the right motives, the right purpose, that's when we get into trouble with the, uh, with the compliance issues, right? That's when people are, are mm-hmm. bending the rules a little bit too far and, and going to the point of breaking them versus remaining compliant and, and again, crossing all our T's and, and dotting all our I's. And talking about behaviors, there are, um, there, there are tools that we can, we can take instruments that we can do like um, DISC or Myers-Briggs or mm-hmm. Life Bergman or some of those tools. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use some of those tools and what's the benefit in using any of those instruments? Absolutely. Um, I am a, I'm a strong believer from an internal perspective on Myers-Briggs, what's my own personal preference for how I how I uh, integrate with the world and how I interact with the world from a, from a visible behavior perspective. Um, I think insights is a tremendous tool. I think disc is a tremendous tool as well. I use disc all the time um, from my individual coaching perspective, from a leadership coaching perspective, but then as an organizational culture and a, and a team development perspective as well. So I, I think it's it's important that we have to, especially in a nonprofit where the where the teams are typically smaller, and we need to be more flexible in how we work with each other during the day, um, to be able to understand why Scott approaches a certain task or a certain responsibility different than Hugh does, different than Russell does, and to to not necessarily say I'm right, you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong, but just know that all right, this is how Hugh approaches things. This is the, the strength that he has. This is the, the benefit of his thought process that he can bring to the organization. Um, how do we get the best out of Russell? How do we get the best out of Scott? How do we get the best out of Sally and, and Jane and really come together to be a, a strong, cohesive team? And it's good when you go through that as a staff together. I yes. did Myers-Briggs several iterations with different church staff. Yes. And um, I remember one in Florida where we'd been away for a three-day retreat, and one of, part of one of the days was Myers-Briggs, and then the understanding of what it means and then how to introverts and extroverts relate to each other. Yeah. So I go in the choir, and I get them on the answer seats. I say, guess what? I found out something about myself, and they're, okay, what, what, what? I said, I'm an extrovert. And they went, boo, hiss. We know that. We know that. Yeah, that was kind of uh, kind of. Easily read, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like way over. Pegs and needle if there were needle. The bar was over. Right. But uh, ENFJ. Yeah, you could figure that get out. Get stuff done. Get stuff done. Make a decision, go. But I also look at the, the liabilities of that. Js make a decision without enough information. The Ps, the perceiving, need more information, but they wait too long. Yes. So having the relationship, which is the foundation of leadership, I think, Having the relationship, those two balance each other out. Yeah. Um, so does DISC offer different kinds of elements than Myers-Briggs? I think a lot of people know Myers-Briggs or know about it. Yeah, DISC is uh, another acronym, right? So we, we don't need another acronym in life, but here it is. So 
these around dominance or how do I overcome obstacles to get things done, right? It's about challenging the status quo. It's about gathering information from different pieces, making a quick decision and moving forward. I, on the other hand, is around influence or relationships. So I is the human side of things. I come into the office on a Monday morning and check in with everybody and say, how was the weekend? How the kids do with their sports teams? Oh, did, did you go to church? You like that, that, that song that we did? It's, it's all around the interactions. Meanwhile, the Ds are going, get to work, get to work. Come on, let's go. The S is around steadiness, which is around the pace of life. Do I enjoy a nice steady pace in my life? Like, opening up a, a box to put up a ceiling fan in the house. And a high steadiness person would open up the box carefully and take a parts inventory and go step one, step two, step three, step four, and eventually put up a ceiling fan. Uh, a non-steadiness person would rip the box open, right, and, and just start putting stuff together. Um, it's neither here nor there in terms of what's right and what's wrong. It's just how you go about life. Um, steadiness is, is around the pace of life. Uh, I happen to be a higher steadiness person. Uh, if my wife, who I love dearly, comes to me on a Saturday morning and says, hey, oh, by the way, can you get this done today? It will drive me crazy because I've already got my Saturday scheduled out, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes S's have trouble with priorities because if I have my list of 10 things I'm doing on that Saturday, if the kitchen's on fire and my wife says, would you please put the fire out? It is number 11 on my list, right? Because I've already got my top 10. So that's a little bit about high steadiness. C is around conscientiousness. So how do we handle rules and procedures set by others? Um, do we follow the rules or is it more of a Pirates of the Caribbean thing where the rules are kind of just guidelines? Um, so that's, that's a little bit about DISC and, and it's very visible. The thing I like about DISC is that, you know, you can see if someone is a rule follower or a rule breaker. You can see if someone has a preference for a step one, step two, step three approach to the world, or if they like to, to fight fires. I've got a friend of mine that is a, uh, an emergency ED doctor in the hospital. Step one, step two, step three kind of applies, but he loves not knowing what's coming in the door next, right? If he was put into a cubicle and, and said to balance these T-sheets with debits and credits, it would drive him crazy. So um, all of that comes into play in the world of nonprofit in terms of how leaders know their people and what their people are best at and how can you best utilize those resources that you have on your team. So DISC is a, a very effective tool to be able to not only have the team kind of know each other better, understand each other better, and come together as a team. But for the leader to have that information to go, ah, Hugh's, Hugh's the guy that will make sure that we're doing things with quality and accuracy. Jane is the one that's going to push us to make that, that decision when we have enough data and move us forward. Um, So-and-so is, um, is a people person. They're going to be great in marketing these new events that we have coming up. So it's it's a, a tool that you can use to really maximize the effectiveness of your team. It, in its best sense. Now, there's a, a weakness side, too, which I want to ask in a minute, but i got a two, couple of follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. um, it helps you discover yourself in your own, your own style. Yeah. So being authentic as a leader is part of what Russ and I teach. Um, it's also important to know when you're talking to your donors. Are they, you, know, you sit across the desk, bottom line person get to the point or do you sit around the corner of the desk you talk about the family so 
can you tell about a person? You're not going to ask them to take a profile and then present right. from the desk profile. Exactly. Can you, can you get to know them before you present so you know what kind of where they fit? Yeah, I think so. And, and, and I actually, in some of my disc presentations, I have a slide that kind of gets to that in terms of if, if people are focusing on when, right? When is it going to be done? When do we have to have this? Mm -hmm. The decisions that are being made, that tends to be someone that focuses on the, the D or the dominance, right? It's a time-oriented, we need to do this, make this decision, and move on. If they tend to focus on, you know, who? Who needs to be involved? Who do we need to communicate with? Um, who do we need to gain information from? Might be dealing with someone that's a higher I or the influencer. Um, if they talk about process a lot, what happens first? Or what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? That will tend to be a high steadiness because they are so process oriented. And if they're focusing on the, the rules and the regulations and they're, they're trying to always focus on delivering with quality and accuracy, that tends to be the, the highly conscientious. So you can, you can almost pick up disc characteristics and disc preferences based on what people tend to focus on and what they're asking us about. We need to know the people we're presenting to yeah. and how they receive information and how we're going to relate to them. Absolutely. It's also um, a negative side. I've seen people with Myers-Briggs and DISC to cover up their weaknesses by saying, this is my profile, so get over it. Yeah. So they use it as an excuse because they really haven't developed the relationships and accountabilities with people or gotten to know the usage of it very well. You want to speak to that side? How do we but prevent that from being a problem? I think that's really, really important. And I think the other kind of learning that we need to bring in there is, is maybe a little bit from Goldman in terms of emotional intelligence and social intelligence, mm -hmm. right? So, so we, can always, um, we can always capitalize on our strengths. And I do encourage people to do that. Recognize that, you know, a high D brings certain um, characteristics and, and benefits to the party. But no matter what our style is, no matter what our blend of, you know, uh, Myers-Briggs or, mm -hmm. or DISC or any assessment, we're going to have things that enable us to be successful. We're going to have characteristics that are potential barriers. And to say, well, this is who I am, kind of tough to the world and, and deal with it, we're, we're cutting ourselves short in terms of our potential effectiveness. Um, I, I think that we, you know, I always go after the concept of flexing flexing my style. So just like you're saying, if I'm dealing with a donor, they are a high D. They just want the the bare bones, what's my money going to go to? What's going to be the benefit of, of me donating to this cause? When am I going to start seeing the benefits? Um, then I want to make sure that I flex my style. Even if I'm not a high D, mm -hmm. I want to flex my style to that person so that I can kind of live in their world and, and talk their language for a little bit. Um, if I'm working with a high I and I go in just with the facts and the figures, I'm going to seem very cold to that donor. Um, I'm going to need to relate to their stories and, and, and talk about the human benefits and the, the, the human stories behind this. Um, so I, I think you're, you're selling, you're, anyone that, that says, well, this is my style and, and that's all there is to it, they're kind of selling themselves short. They can be much more effective if they, if they capitalize on their strengths, but then also you know, learn to flex towards the style of others um, to, to foster that relationship. And that's where I think the social intelligence comes into play. Mm -hmm. You know, my emotional intelligence, I can, I can manage and understand my own emotions, but to be able to work effectively with you or with others, I've, I've got to understand, you know, kind of as they say, walk a mile in your shoes. I've got to understand where you're coming from, what's important to you. 
And how can, how can I deliver some of that for you so that you can then in turn help me deliver what I want to deliver? Come on, throw it to Russ because he's good at this flex. He has to flex every week at two o'clock when I show up. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he has to accommodate my age and mental condition very often. <laughs> oh, look at him. <laughs> so, <laughs> he thought he was going to get by without me pulling the, that card. We're, we're not even halfway through the broadcast and we've fallen on to that again. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're, we're going to get that. Yeah, flexibility is really the key. And, I, you know, when you're building relationships, you got you, you develop a little bit of a compass for that sort of thing over time. But, you know, the conversations we have really in the nonprofit world is about what's important to the person we're talking to. So we can kind of get a gauge and a feel for that. And, uh, you know, it, it's really kind of going with the flow because you're relating to each person individually. There's no really good one-size-fits-all formula for dealing with people, even though we've got a lot of wonderful stuff that we talked about. Uh, another thing we haven't really talked about is the strengths finder. And uh, there was another uh, inventory I found called an IPIP. Uh, it, it was really interesting. I'll have to look for that. But that was a battery that took about a half hour and then told, told me a lot of things about whether I was altruistic and it had about eight other, 10 other uh, uh, areas measuring emotionally and mentally. And so these are ways to learn about yourself. And uh, one thing I did for myself was to actually email and send letters to some people who know me really well. Uh, to find out what they thought I did well and where I could use a little bit of help. And uh, other people are a lot more, uh, you know, that, that get used to dealing with us. They can find our superpowers and our kryptonite and lay it out. Uh, and sometimes we're blind to that stuff. We don't even know what we know or we don't know what we don't know. Uh, you know, uh, of course, if I just had a blanket age mental condition or uh, something like that, that that's not going to work with new people. <laughs> and the people who know you for a while are just going to go, oh, no, not again. <laughs> so, so that's the excuse side of me. So as you're bringing that up, Russ, I'm thinking uh, there's, there's this um, camaraderie, collaboration, uh, encouragement that sometimes happens around people learning style. So I heard you come across to that. Your, your people, I hope you got some affirmations from the people that you emailed. I'm sure you did about your skills and your talents and your presence in the world. Is that, you I mean, you got some good things, I'm sure. Well, yeah, but I think there were a couple that were, were uh, watching this show and they said for the age that you are, your mental condition ought to be a little better. <laughs> I, won't, I won't say which people. <laughs> okay. So do you said have... that. Oh, and this other battery that I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, I just uh, I just had that in front of me. It's called an IPIPNEO narrative. Oh my! And I found this. Uh, uh, some it was developed by a gentleman at Penn State University. Uh, and the areas it measures are extroversion, agreeableness, conscientiousness, neuroticism, meaning are you neurotic, or openness. Oh, man. And, uh, 
So it's, it's really interesting. It's worth taking a little bit of time. Uh, it can be a little wordy, and I had to just kind of go through it and pull some stuff out of the summary, but it, it's, it's really good. Let me... Uh, I don't I, think it's like a song. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm uh, going to grab the URL and just drop it in there and at your you. leisure. You can Do you have up. a question brewing for our guest today? I do. You know, one of the things I was thinking about was, was uh, you know, when you walk into a business and, and you're starting to talk to people about things that matter to them, or you know, uh, why is it important to find out what people want to get better at? Is that a currency that you're finding that that's kind of left on the table? People walk in and, you know, uh, they walk away because they don't think there's any chance for them to grow. Well, so, so give me a little bit more on that, Russ, in terms of, you know, uh, are you thinking about organizational growth? Are you thinking about personal growth or, or the well, I'm, I'm thinking about, about personal growth because you, you can't always write a bigger check. Uh, and so people may not, they may or may not say, uh, say out loud that what they want to do is gain, uh, gain more of a skill set. So, uh, what sort of questions do you ask to gauge whether or not that's something that's really important to them? Yeah, I, I tend to do as much homework up front as I can in terms of learning the person's organization and even learning about the, the person themselves. Obviously, you know, websites like um, LinkedIn and, and others are very, very useful to do some homework ahead of time. Um, but then when, when we're meeting, especially for the first time, um, there was a, a great book, and I don't know if I have it with me today or not. Um, there's a, a great coaching book that I found as a very strong reference, and um, I'll have to, I'll have to grab the title for you. It is, it's something along the lines of, um, say less, ask more questions and change the way you lead the rest of your life. Um, and I'll, I might have it in my briefcase off to the side here, uh, cause I was just using it with another client. Um, but really the, the approach in that book is, is really just spending some time with someone if and finding out what's what's going on in their life right now is it is it kind of content or project specific is it people issues people challenges you know human interactions or is it any type of a, a pattern um, within their organization so so what's what's really happening in their world that they would like to see some more success around and then, you know, coaching them along the lines of, all right, so, so, you know, what have we tried so far and, and what's, what's kind of keeping you up at night about this particular topic and, and start to get them to think about those challenges that they're having and, and, you know, addressing them in a, in kind of a safe environment. To me, the, Hugh and, you know, you do a, a lot of coaching. To me, the, the real kicker is creating a safe environment for people to feel vulnerable with you a little bit or to feel safe enough to feel vulnerable to say, 
yeah, you know, this particular aspect of, of my nonprofit or my working with the board or this one board member I'm having an issue with, just getting them comfortable enough to kind of share that with you so that you can, you know, ask them some more questions or, or kind of get them thinking about a, a more productive approach. What have, what have you found there? Absolutely. And as you're talking, it's not only that I coach the leader, but I coach the leader on coaching. And in, in, I don't know who said this, but they said that coaching is 90% listening. Well, and the other 10% is mostly listening. And, and so I find that, that leaders primarily don't know the skills they need to lead. They think it's push, do this, and the conductor knows it's pull. Yeah. <clears throat> Here's where we're going, and lets people allow. You want to hold that up? We, we're we're can, can, I, live. can I share this? But we'll it's we'll put it in the podcast notes. One of one of the most useful coaching resources, and I've I've kind of outlined this book, and I, I share it with different classes that I go to. But it's the coaching habit: say less, ask more, and change the way you lead forever by Michael uh, Stanier or Stanier S T A N I E R. Um, really, really useful. And again, just like seven or eight core questions that, you know, you help the other person kind of thinking about. And I've actually used this, mm-hmm. you know, with, with nonprofit leaders. I've used it with team leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually used it with my kids, you know, getting them to think about an issue that is challenging them, whether it's around an academic subject or, mm-hmm. you know, a relationship with someone in school. Um, it's really universal principles. It absolutely is. I mean, the, the first question, you know, I, I, here's my little outline of the book itself, but the first question that it gets you to, to think about is just, if you, you know, when, in relationship to this topic we're talking about, what's, what's on your mind? It starts out as broad as that. And then you, uh, then from there, you, you kind of figure out, is it a content issue? Is it a people issue? Is it a pattern issue? And then from there, you know, kind of take them down the, the coaching path. Start easy. How many, yeah. how many sleeves in a shirt? <laughs> so you build the confidence and the rapport. Yeah. Really underneath leadership is relationship and you build trust and relationship before you can really impact anybody. Yeah. And actually you said use this um, with your corporate leaders and mm-hmm. nonprofit leaders. It's probably more difficult in the nonprofit arena and how we do anything is how we do everything. I have found that when I do the coaching clinic that I've developed over the years, um, with my corporate leaders, I do it with teams who have teams under them. Right. Then we have a debriefing and they'll say, oh, I worked these listening things. I used that with my clients and they liked it. And actually they were able to provide more data when I listened than when I talked. And then one, one, one guy said, oh, my wife really liked this when I tried it at home. And, and so the value leadership is, is multifaceted, but the top of leadership skills and at the top of the underutilized leadership skills is listening. Listening, yeah. yeah. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a good reason. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Russ, I'm, you're you're a um, man with an extensive library. Is that a book you're aware of? That's a great book. I've got it on Kindle with the Audible. Uh, and you know, I forgot about that. It's in here. My library, of course. Kindle has been very bad for my checking account. I compile stuff much faster than I read it. I read that book maybe about a year ago, a year, year and a half ago, and I have it on Audible, so it's something I need to revisit. But this is the thing that that I was thinking that that the best uh, uh, leaders are lifelong learners. I mean, they've 
always got a book in their hand. They find a way to do things. They use tools like Blinkist.com, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com, which is a service of book summaries. And they have blanks that are 12 to 16, 17 minutes long where they summarize a book and give you all of the points and, and you can download the points that you get into a Word document on your Kindle. But the point is really is, is this continuous learning. Uh, some people have an interest in that. And those are people you really want to look for. Uh, they may not have all the knowledge you want them to have, but if you can find one of these people that just has that uh, addiction, passion, whatever you want to call it, for learning and improving themselves, and, and uh, that's really what, I, what I've considered to be the third step to building a high-performance nonprofit, is, stay, is, is uh, staying on track, measuring everything you do, continuous improvement. And what better way for an organization to improve than to have your people improve? Uh, because as they do more, you become more. Russell, um, do you find that that's even more important in the nonprofit world from like a hiring perspective is maybe, you know, finding those folks that are the lifelong learners that, that thrive on picking up new skills and new knowledge and applying it to their nonprofit world versus coming in with, you know, X number of years of, of kind of pertinent experience? You know, the, the way that I view it, and it really doesn't matter what, what sort of organization you run it, it's great to have people that have a high level of skill and a lot of knowledge. And, uh, uh, but, you know, you get somebody that comes in and tells me, well, I know everything you need to know. I'm going to be checking to make sure my wallet is still in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds me. Oh, it's all right. Hugh would never do that. He'll admit to knowing a thing or two about a thing or two like me. But this everything, no. Yeah. Uh, and really, the people that help you get the results dig that talent out of you because... My, my business model is you are more than meets the eye. And I, I use that in my relation to other people because they got a lot of juice already there. Wow. They're already working with a certain audience and it's kind of like they know what they're trying to get at. And sometimes we just have to get the ideas out of people. That's uh, I've got a great guy, uh, Daryl Stern, who I did a stern storming session with. And he says, you've got a lot of content, but this is a mess. We got to pull all this together. Wow. And he's helping me do that, you know. Hey, you know Scott, he can help you clean that up. <laughs> <laughs> the genius is all there. It's just pulling it all together and asking the right questions. You notice that, he said learning. He's, that's Southern, Russ. You said learning. You got to keep going. So you, you had a comment here. Well, yeah, I, you know what, what you're saying just – totally lines up with, you know, how I think about engagement as we kind of started our conversation today is, and especially the nonprofit world, you know, there are, there are three ways or three avenues to really let people flourish, like you're saying. And, and so if we can find the right people um, that we can, we can 
unlock their potential in a, in a nonprofit leadership role. Um, you know, it's, it's about making sure that we find the people that their heart, right, or their emotion is aligned with the, the mission and the vision of the nonprofit that we're working within, right? Do they get juiced up and jazzed up about doing this work in this nonprofit field? Um, working with a young lady now that, um, that did fantastic marketing efforts for a, a, a chapter of a nonprofit that is a, a national nonprofit, very, very large. Um, she just made a move recently within the last year to a small nonprofit in town that has to do with the arts. Um, and you can tell just by looking at her face and, and talking to her that she is so jazzed up. I mean, she loved her old job, but she is so jazzed up about working for this, um, this arts academy that you know, nothing is going to stop her from getting to work and, and you know, giving it 110% every day. So her, her heart is engaged uh, with the organization and the work that she's doing. Uh, the other aspect is, is how do you get the best out of people's minds, right? No one brain in the room is as smart as everyone in the room. So how do you create as a nonprofit leader uh, a culture, right, to your point earlier, a culture where everyone's input is valued and we get the best of the diversity of thought from everyone on the team, no matter what our role happens to be in the organization. So engage my heart, engage my head, engage my brain and, and help me, you know, no matter what my role or responsibility, allow me to flourish and to, to provide my ideas on how we can, we can serve our, our customer, our community need. And then lastly is, you know, let me roll up my sleeves and do it again a nice broad job description where I can, I can help out in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and now that you got my ideas, let me loose and, and let me go do it. Um, I think that's one of the things that really comes down to, especially in a nonprofit world, you know, how do we engage our workforce is, is engaging their hearts, uh, engaging their heads and their minds and, and engaging their hands. And, um, you know, that, that comes from, there's another great book that I can reference that, that I've used in the past around this. And it's, it's a book by uh, Julie. And I, I don't know the pronunciation of her last name. It's either Jay Bauer or Gay Bauer, G E B A U E R and Don uh, Lohman. And they, they've come up with a book called closing the engagement gap. Um, and they talk about these three elements of engagement with your, your heart and your head and your hands. And I found it to be a, a terrific resource and I found it to be true. Um, people generally don't wake up on a Monday morning going, I wonder how I can slough off today and, and just not, you know, not engage at work. They're, they're looking to get up and have a good day and to have a good week. So do that by providing opportunities. But like you were saying before, know your people, know what makes them tick and then let them, let them loose. And, and what we know as a conductor is the, the orchestra, the choir gives you what they see. So we influence them. It's a, it's a reflection of the leader. So as you're talking about that, part of the work that you and Russ and I do with these nonprofit leaders is, is a work of encouragement, empowerment for them to then be the influencer. I, I, the burnout rate is like 45% and 75% of nonprofit leaders are looking at the exit door because they want to get out. And 
And there are things that we do as leaders that have negative consequences. So part of this we own. And so part of what we do, um, Russ and Hugh and, and Scott, it's Scott with one T. He's saving up for the other T. It's on layaway. <laughs> Good habit. Uh, Scott would be my heritage. I'm a Scott. There you go. But that's, so um, part of what we do is encourage leaders to come out of their, 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 I guess it's blind spots. We're trapped in this. This is how we do things. When really, it's not how we do things. So speak to that a minute. How do we work as a catalyst for leaders to rethink how they lead, to reinvent themselves, to build their capacity to get past some of those barriers? I think personally, my experience is, and, and Russell, you, you touched on this before, it's, it's being willing to be flexible, right? And, and using you know our ears and our mouth in that ratio. If I truly and going to approach the world as, as a kind of a servant leader, right? And I, I am here to serve not only my customer, but I'm here to serve my team. It's a little bit easier for me to, to kind of slow down and, and listen to others' ideas and to see, especially bringing in talent from, from outside the organization that might be able to look at things with a fresh lens. If I am a, if I am a strong D, if I'm a strong dominant leader, not that I can't listen and, and get ideas from others, it's just going to take a little more energy for me to do that, right? I'm going to have to consciously and purposefully slow down and listen. And, and really, that's where maybe we can use some other people to facilitate us through that process to say, all right, I, I know the ideas that I have in my head, but I want to make sure that I pull the team in to this discussion. So maybe I need to have a, a third party or someone on my team facilitate that session to get ideas from others, whether it's, you know, something as simple as writing on post-it notes and slapping them up on a wall or, or other um, ways. That's, that's one of the things that I found in some nonprofits is that the leader has been there a while. They can be ingrained in how things have always been done. Um, it takes a strong leader to take a step back from that to say, all right, you know, what, what are some of the, the potential improvements that you guys see on a daily basis. I, I'm part of my background was a, a GE six Sigma master black belt. And I like a, I'm an HR guy, right? I am not a statistics guy. So even going through some of those learnings with six Sigma kind of made the, what little bit of hair I had on the back of my neck kind of stand up and gave me the chills sometimes, but it was good learning, pushed myself forward, became a master black belt within the organization and got to coach a lot of, process improvement projects uh, and change leadership projects. And one of the things that I found is that if you allow the people that are working on the process every day to then share in, in the process of continuous improvement, like you were talking about before, that's really the, that's really the kicker. Um, and if you create, again, creating the environment where people feel safe to go, you know what? This could be done a little bit better. The way I always approached Lean Six Sigma and process improvement work was, was talking with the frontline associates and asking them, what are the headaches that get in the way of you having a good day? Where does the process break down? Where is their rework? Where are their delays? Um, where is there a breakdown in communication between our donors and us? Where is there a breakdown in in the community efforts between what we're doing and, and the community leadership. Everything we do is a process in one way or the other. 
And so how do we allow the people that are doing the work every day give us the feedback on where things can get better? And what I found is they, they are open to that instead of, you know, you need to fix X, Y, and Z. Oh, God. <laughs> where are your headaches? Yeah. And let's allow them to get rid of their headaches. Let's support them in getting rid of their headaches every day. And that's when, that's when the light bulbs, of course, when I was with GE, it had to be a GE light bulb. But that's when the light bulbs went off over people's heads and they're going, oh my God, I get to, I get, to get rid of headaches. Thank you. And, and so, and that's just continuous improvement. Wow. Um, I, I like to teach continuing improvement as, as personal growth. You know, we never, we never stop there. Right. So what, what we bring to the table is a paradigm shift for people. Um, Russ, you got another, you got a question brewing. This guy's got a lot of answers and he's got obviously a lot of, um, in-depth experience. And, um, I think there's, there's a lot that, uh, we bring, um, uh, the synergy center vision is the synergy of the common vision. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot yes. to what you say embedded in what we do. It's the, it's the pool leadership. It's creating the space for people to function up. Yeah. We as leaders tend to over-function and the reciprocity is under-functioning for the teams. So a lot of times we create the problems ourselves because that's all we know. And we think the boss, which is double S-O-B spelled backwards, we think the <laughs> boss tells oh, everybody how to steal that. I, I love it. I stole it. It's, 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 um, it doesn't work today. People don't want to be told what to do no matter no. which generation. We want to blame the millennials, but I'm a boomer. I don't want to be told what to do either. Right. But but we're we're and part of I was thinking when you were talking is we we uh, we lead from the authenticity of self, mm -hmm. but we respect individuals in the community and respect their authenticity, but we're aligned in a common purpose and a common thread. Yes. So I'm gonna let uh, we're we're headed on the last last quarter of our interview, so uh, it's the last stretch. I want to make sure we capitalize some of the the major themes. So Russ, um, you've been brewing a hard question for our uh -oh. guest. He's He's got a lot of knowledge and experience. So what do you, what are you thinking you want to ask him? Well, you know, I'm thinking that good leaders build good leaders. So what are some of the tools that you give your clients to help them do that or to, to shift their thinking in that direction? Good. Um, you know, first and foremost, Russell, I think that, you know, getting to know your people is absolutely critical. Um, and it can be something as simple as what's your favorite candy bar uh, so that you can leave that on their desk on a Friday afternoon going, you know what, thank you so much for what you did this week. You made a great impact on, on our organization or our customer or our team. Um, so getting to, getting to know them and taking the time to know what their personal aspirations are. Um, Development and advancement can mean different things to different people. I may want to stay in my current role and go deeper and deeper and deeper. So maybe, maybe I'm looking to go to some conferences this year, or maybe I'm looking to, to speak on a panel discussion, or maybe I'm looking to do some research uh, on a white paper and develop a white paper for a topic that's important to our, our organization, our industry. So I've got to get to know that person to truly understand what development and, and developing them as a leader looks like. Um, secondly, I've got to look for some opportunities. If I am a, a higher C in my DISC style, right, conscientious, always looking at things from a quality and an accuracy perspective, 
You know, sometimes high C's will struggle with delegating responsibilities to others and, and growing other people around them. Because, and Hugh, help me out here. If you want it done right, do it yourself. And so that can be a struggle, really, for delegation and growing other people. Because if I am not going to let go of something, how am I going to let you do it and, and develop? That's the hardest thing I see for leaders to do. Yeah. You know, we, we have an idea, especially founders of, of an nonprofit. This is the way it's supposed to go, so I'm going to do it. Right. And then we, we alienate people because we haven't given them a chance to use their passion. That's why they're here. Exactly. But we have this other fallacy as nonprofit leaders. We don't want to ask too much of volunteers. Well, that's why they're there. We ask them. They can say, well, they'll tell you if they can do it or not. Right. But we, uh, we in delegation, you're right. That is so hard. That is so hard, and I teach it, you teach it. I bet it's hard for you, too. It's hard for oh, me. Absolutely. Yeah, so we, we got this passion for it. However, we were robbing a volunteer of an opportunity to connect their passion and be a cheerleader for what we're doing. Right. That's a good, that was pretty good, Russ. You know, the other thing, I've, I've got a question that, that, that I would put into a leader's head that might, uh, might come from that place. And it's, uh, ask yourself, how can I get more done and get it done better so that it's less work for me, but we improve? How can I make this all better uh, and ha have to work, with, not work as hard to make it better? Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. I would always, you know, one of the things... Russell, to get to that point is I, I talk to managers when I'm coaching them and I said, if you had a magic wand, what would be three things that you would wave your magic wand and get off of your desk right now? Like today, boom, done. Don't do it anymore. And, and they'll, you know, they have those ideas in the back of their minds and say, all right, so how can, how can you have someone else? First of all, does it have to get done? And if it does have to get done, great, but who else can do it? And how can that be a growth opportunity for someone else in your organization, be it a volunteer or be it someone on the staff or someone that's looking to, to move up in the organization. So looking at everything that's on my plate, how can I use what I'm doing now to, to develop um, someone else in the organization? So that's a, that's a great, great way to inspire people, great way to involve people, great way to become more effective as a leader. There's a, another book by the guy by the name of Scott Eblen. He has two T's in his name. He's, he's full-fledged. Full full-fledged Scott. Um, Scott Eblen, E-B-L-I-N. And the book is called The Next Level. Uh -huh. And what Eblen talks about is as you are moving up in an organization, and it can be you know micro steps or macro steps, but as you're moving up in an organization, what are those things that you need to let go of? IDs struggle with that. High S's struggle with that because a high S likes to be an expert in what they do mm -hmm. and focus on doing just one or two things, but doing them well, getting stuff done. High C's really struggle with that. And so, you know, how do you not only develop yourself, but develop others in your organization as you are moving up through the different levels? Well, and we as a conductor know we're only as good as the people around us. So it's, it's about creating the space for people to function at a higher level. And we, we do shoot ourselves in the foot more often and totally unaware of it. Oh, yeah, many cases. We just, we actually, um, conflict is going to happen. It's the sign of energy. 
we don't need to make it worse. We right. don't make it destructive conflict. And sometimes we do as leaders by our lack of clarity, our inconsistency in directions and our over-functioning do set up some conflict. And then we don't know what to do about it. We right. ignore it and it gets worse. Right. I would have, uh, you know, when I was internal, now, now I help people from an external perspective, but when I was internal, I would get a lot of managers calling me for team building. Oh, Scott, please come, you know, help us do some team building. We're, we're just not working right. And, uh, you know, Russell and, and Hugh, you probably come across this model before, but maybe some of our other leaders haven't heard of it yet, but it's, it's called Grippy, G-R-P-I. And so the G is goals. And do we have clarity and agreement on what the goals are, right? So it's all around clarity and agreement. The R is around the roles. So do we have the right roles? Do we have the right organizational structure set up? And is there role clarity between what we are doing to reach those goals. I'm not supposed to do that. Hugh's supposed to do that. Hugh is saying, oh, that's not my job. Russell's supposed to do that. And now all of a sudden we have this "Eh," going on in the team. P is around process. Do we have the right processes in place? And, And, you know, Russell, I don't know if you've found this to be true, but I've always seen that there's three versions of every process map. There's the current process map that we have, right? There's the real process as it really works, other than what's going on in the process map. Uh, then there's the third version, which is the future version of how it should ideally work. Yeah. So do we have our, our ducks in a row? Are we heading to that third version of the process map? So clarity and agreement on the goals, the roles, and the process. So the I in grippy is the interpersonal issues. Mm-hmm. What I find is that teams are not functioning well when we have that lack of clarity around the goals, the roles, and the process. And it's almost like a gift with purchase, right? You go into the store, you buy one thing, you get something else. Well, if you don't have clarity and agreement on goals, roles, and process, you're automatically going to have interpersonal issues. And that's what managers would always come to us and say, I need team building. Well, you know, you don't need team building. You need to clear up goals, roles, and process. Yeah, sometimes team building is a game that's a cop-out. So, yeah, connecting to something substantial. Yeah. I'm going to um, do a sponsor moment here, talk about um, our sponsor that, allows us to have these programs and offer them free. And then we're going to come back and give you the last word. What is it that um, the frustrated nonprofit leader needs to know? Or what would be your tip for that leader? Not just go the next step, but go to the top of the rung. Um, You get the parting thought. We're going to talk about WordSprint, wordsprint.com. WordSprint prints our magazine, Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine. They also help you keep in touch with your donors or your customers. Um, so it's, it's a mail piece. We mail people something that they hold in their hands. And the magazine that we produce at Centervision is a magazine you can keep in your library because it's not dated. The articles are timeless. They're how-to, but they're stories of encouragement from people that have been there and done something unique. So Nonprofit Performance 360 Magazine is something we publish at CenterVision. It's printed by WordSprint. Bill Gilmer and his team do a marvelous job, but they also mail it. So we are constantly doing what Scott's talking about, building relationships with those stakeholders that have invested in the impact of the work that we do at CenterVision. We empower nonprofit leaders to grow their skills, empower their teams, and increase their revenue. And it all happens very systemically. 
So wordsprint.com is a valuable resource that we use at Center Vision, and we recommend you, you go online, look where it says make an appointment, whether you're a business or a nonprofit or a church or a community organization, it doesn't matter. Bill Gilmer and his team are very skilled and they give you a free consultation on how it works because they've had decades of tracking and they know what works to keep those donors donating and even bringing more in and, and raising the bar. That's the consistent problem that we have in charities is that we don't have a system for keeping our donors engaged. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the many systems. So Scott, this has been a lot of really good information today. I've enjoyed it. And we're going to give you the last, uh, what do you want to leave people with? I would say as a closing thought today, as a nonprofit leader, focus on getting a grippy. You know, we say get a grip, get a grippy. I think that is the one thing that can truly bring you and your team to a higher level. Make sure that you and the whole team have clarity on what your goals are for the year. Um, and people always say, you know, focus on smart goals. Mm -hmm. I found that there's a gentleman out there, uh, Brendan uh, Bruchard. And Bruchard often talks about making sure that we have dumb goals as well. Oh. And dumb goals starts with the D and, the, and that's all about what is your dream? And so, you know, what is the dream of your nonprofit? You know, what is this all about? Why are you here, your mission and your vision? So start with the, with the dream. Make sure that people understand what those goals are and, and listen to, engage people, know them and grow them and engage them in the process so that they can help you determine the best processes and where they can be improved and, and what the right roles are, who should be doing what in the organization. There's, there's always an opportunity to review those job descriptions and, and make them work for you. What, what should that job look like 12 months from now, 24 months from now, as your nonprofit organization continues to evolve? So I'd say, you know, making sure you have the right talent in the organization. If you, if you don't have the right talent, you're not doing yourself a favor. You're not doing that person that is in the wrong slot of a favor. Work with your local HR professionals that can help you on the that side of the, of the equation, get the right people in your organization that have the heart and the passion to, to do the work that you're doing and empower them to, to figure out what the right roles and processes are to reach your, your goal. That is good stuff. That is good stuff. So um, Russ, thanks for adding good stuff today. Scott, Absolutely. thank you for sharing your wisdom with us on the nonprofit exchange. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.